Welcome to Family Law Talk, presented by Kirk Stange of Stange Law Firm, PC. Stange Law Firm is a family law firm in the St. Louis metro area with offices in Missouri and Illinois. Now, here's your host, Kirk Stange. Welcome to Family Law Talk. My name is Kirk Stange, managing partner of Stange Law Firm. Today, I'm on the phone with uh, Keith Law. Keith, you on the phone with me today? I am indeed, Kirk. All right, well, great. Today we're going to be talking about uh, winning uh, uh, cases in the social media age. But before we begin the topic, I should state that the choice of a lawyer is an important decision that should not be based solely upon advertisements and that the information that you obtain uh, from this podcast today are general in nature and may not apply to specific factual or legal circumstance. Now on to the topic here today, again, winning cases in the social media age. Uh, Keith, tell us... uh, uh, talk about the topic and tell us a little bit about what we should know. Well, thank you very much, uh, Kirk. I might uh, start by just uh, uh, giving uh, your listeners uh, and yourself actually a little background about what I do and kind of the perspective that I bring to the subject. Uh, I'm a research journalist, and um, I'm uh, especially uh, fortunate to be assigned coverage of stories and subjects that are very high profile and uh, some of the most important uh, stories and subjects uh, of the day. And uh, more and more, those assignments are leading me towards social media and the law. And um, and so that's how I kind of have developed an interest and uh, experience and uh, some um, knowledge of how social media is impacting the law, and of course I bring a journalist perspective to the story, which is uh, to the subject, I should say, which is quite different than your own or uh, lawyers in general. And uh, for example, I was uh, uh, like everyone else covering the Casey Anthony trial as a as a um, observer. And it was a trial based in Florida <clears throat> that involved a. Um, uh, a woman that was charged with killing her two-year-old daughter, and that became what Time Magazine called the social media trial of the century. And uh, I was asked by the editor at Harvard, who was the former Watergate editor for Woodward and Bernstein, to write an article on on how social media was impacting that trial. And so that was kind of a kickoff uh, for me, and uh, since then I've been engaged in these kind of the confluence of social media and the law. And what I find interesting is that many lawyers are um, averse to using social media in their practice and on behalf of their clients. In some cases, some attorneys are actually afraid of social media and view it as an intrusive um, institution or an intrusive phenomenon of our current age. And I have to say from from my perspective as a non-lawyer, but just as an observer, that I think that they put their clients and um, and the people they represent at a distinct disadvantage in representing them uh, before the law. Why is it that some attorneys, you, uh, Keith, do you find that they're kind of afraid of social media? Well, I think uh, there is a kind of a mindset that that is not. Uh, that is not peculiar to attorneys. It's it's kind of a human condition of resisting change, and some people resist change, others embrace it. And uh, I've 
uh, talked to lawyers and heard lawyers discuss social media and how they want to use them in their practice quite a lot. And I, I find a distinct divide where a lot of attorneys feel that social media and what is, uh, what is going on in social media is a threat to the justice system itself, and they view it that way, and they try to exclude social media as a uh, kind of a strategy in their own practice. Um, and whereas, and for example, I've heard attorneys say that, well, I don't, uh, I'm really not interested in what anybody thinks about my case or about my client or about my opponent uh, out in social media. All I care about is what is uh, available to me by the rules of evidence and through the rules of discovery and depositions. And, uh, and social media is, uh, is a distraction. And they practice their, their law on that basis. And uh, whereas I also... Threat. The term threat, I, I just if I could follow up on that a little bit, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you said they view it as a threat, social media, and, and looking at social media. What, I mean, what do you mean by that? I mean, uh, it would seem to me like it would well, be yeah. uh, just a, a bunch of information available that uh, that might be really helpful to their case. I'm curious why they, why some attorneys view social media as a threat. Well, of course, uh, you sound like what is called an early adopter, and uh, for those that uh, aren't familiar with the term, it doesn't refer to adopting children. It refers to embracing and using and uh, utilizing uh, current social media and internet resources as they become available, as new uh, resources uh, are on the market, uh, whether it be iPads or uh, all kinds of um, smartphones and so forth and so on, all the apps that are available. Uh, attorneys that are early adopters are looking for ways to use them and leverage them on behalf of their client, whereas others uh, look at the social media world and they are uh, very much aware that the American Bar Association and the uh, the profession itself is somewhat struggling to keep up with the changes that are going on in social media in terms of ethics, in terms of rules of, of behavior, for example, there are, there are serious issues of spoilation of evidence that an attorney can get himself involved with if he's not uh, if he's not current on uh, social media itself and on what what the rules and ethics uh, involved in an attorney's use and interaction with social media are. For example, what is spoilation he, for the listeners? What is what is spoilation? Because a lot of people might not know what that what that term means precisely. Could I uh, could I uh, kind of turn the question around and, and I think you would be the person to really define that <laughs> as a lawyer. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. I mean, obviously, I mean, what I'm trying to do is just kind of define that term, you know, from your vantage point for the listeners out there. And and when you when you use that term, and what I mean, what are you referring to in the in the use of that term, spoilation? Sure. Yeah, if, for example, if an attorney uh, is representing uh, a person or a client that uh, involves um, uh, divorce and uh, he or somebody on the staff uh, is perusing or searching through social media like Facebook and they see the, uh, let's say, a friend of, um, of their client or a friend of the opponent on Facebook, and that attorney then interacts on Facebook with that person. 
for the purpose of trying to generate uh, information that he can use on behalf of his client without identifying himself and uh, as a rep, you know as somebody who's representing this person in this case that definitely would introduce issues of spoilation of, of that evidence in uh, in in a settlement, a pretrial settlement, or if we got to trial, of course, obviously there. So those are issues that an attorney that embraces social media and stays current with uh, the American Bar Association and the State Bar Association uh, uh, rules and uh, guidelines on how to, uh, how to interact and use social media is familiar with. And instead of fearing it, he just obeys those rules of the road, so to speak, and uh, and therefore is able to use social media, for example, Facebook and Twitter and so forth, as a resource on behalf of his client. Whereas the person that sees social media as a threat, that uh, that concern and that uh, and that kind of perspective of social media is just reinforced uh, by these uh, fears. And as a result, uh, his client is under underrepresented. Right, absolutely. And Keith, what is e-discovery? I know that, that you know, obviously, in, in uh, family law cases or really any litigation, there's a, a, a discovery process. But can you explain to the listeners what e-discovery is and how that can can be a key resource for successfully representing a client? Well, that is, it's just uh, we could spend uh, probably uh, six shows just talking about e-discovery and ESI, which is electronically stored information, uh, the cloud, which is a, a resource for storing information, uh, external uh, hard drives, all of that, uh, and even your smartphone. I might mention uh, the Supreme Court is going to be expected anyway to hear a case uh, next year on uh, the right of police to investigate the computers that we all carry in our pockets called smartphones uh, without a court order or a warrant so that if they stop somebody and they have a smartphone, they want to be able to look at the files on that smartphone. They want to be able to look at the uh, emails, the texts, um, and so forth without any court order or warrant. And the Supreme Court is going to be deciding that issue, uh, I believe, next year. So that is just, uh, and of course, e-discovery is an extension of that very process. What e-discovery is, is uh, a discovery process for evidence that an attorney um, uses uh, on behalf of his client. And in case of e-discovery, it's, uh, it's looking through any electronically uh, uh, created information. And that could be, uh, for example, files on a computer. That could be uh, the record of you or me or anybody on Facebook or your Twitters, your tweets. Um, that would be uh, uh, available through eDiscovery. And, uh, and of course, there are in Facebook, there are people that create what are called secret or private Facebook pages. Those are available through eDiscovery, even though they're secret. And if you Google search for information on a secret Facebook page, Google does not um, does not come up with any search results, but they're there, and you can require and, and ask for the password and username for a Facebook account, usually in a letter of introduction as you begin a case. That should be the first thing a lawyer does is, um, is make that request through eDiscovery and look for every source available 
conceivable that can help his client uh, through e-discovery. Uh, specifically in regard to family law cases, how can how can e-discovery assist clients, for example, who are going through maybe a divorce, a, a child custody case at some time, maybe, maybe a child support case, or, or just really any family law case in general? Sure. Well, I mean, um, the um, the record is, is just uh, uh, full of, of, of anecdotes and instances from divorce case records and family law uh, histories of just that kind of thing. For example, in a divorce um, case, for example, let's say uh, an attorney is representing uh, the wife, and uh, let's say that um, she's trying to, she has been a, and, and incidentally, as a journalist, quite often I get introduced into social media, the confluence of social media and the law by kind of personal stories. I'll be looking at or writing about somebody that uh, on my particular subject, and it turns out she gets into a divorce proceeding, and, and then a story develops from there. And that kind of brings me into social media and the law from that point. And I've covered uh, and I'm aware of many stories where a wife has been, uh, let's say, um, uh, had the wool put over over eyes by her husband uh, in terms of his relationships with other women, his relationships with money, and so forth and so on that the wife is simply not aware of. And then uh, when he files for divorce, or she does, uh, all of a sudden uh, she may be finding these things out from friends who knows her, who knew her husband but would not tell her uh, because she was married to him. And as soon as they divorce uh, proceeding and filing gets uh, public and she tells her friends that, all of a sudden from Facebook, from Twitter, uh, friends of hers and of her husband's will tell her things that they have found her husband uh, saying and involved with on social media sites. For example, he may be uh, he may be showing photos of uh, himself with other women at uh, at uh, in places that she didn't know that he was at, and uh, all of a sudden this can impact materially the whole outcome of, of their situation. And, of course, from my standpoint, people that, in, that come to the law and they come to a lawyer for representation, basically they do that because, in a lot of cases, they, they aren't able to resolve a situation fairly and, just, and justly uh, between the parties themselves. So they rely on the law to, to produce a sort of justice in that circumstance that they're in, and it's very important that an attorney have as much information on behalf of his client to support his client so that she, in this case, can get as much, uh, as much equitable uh, uh, result from this proceeding as she deserves and is, and is rightly in, in her interest. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of child custody cases, um would you agree with me that uh, information obtained on social media sites can oftentimes be very valuable in determining what's in the best interest of a child? Well, certainly, and uh, I'm sure you're aware of, uh, you're from your colleagues, and I'm certainly aware of, of situations where uh, there's um, often child custody issues are very emotional, they're very, um, they can be very um, antagonistic sometimes, and and, and it's very important that in the interest of a child in those situations 
that all of the information about the two parties be be brought up to the surface so an equitable equitable uh, resolution can be made. If you don't know everything about the two people, it's 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 possible that someone could have an unfair advantage as a result in deciding child custody cases. And here you have a child that's very much at risk uh, in those circumstances of, of going with the wrong parent or not getting enough visitation or too much visitation, and uh, that could impact that child for the rest of their life. So if if an attorney will look for social media and find out, for example, that uh, a child who is currently uh, in the custody of one of the uh, parties to a, to a divorce and child custody dispute is allowing the child to go on Facebook and uh, have friends or tweets and so forth and so on at 2 o'clock in the morning or uh, and is creating uh, and joining groups in Facebook and so forth that a a responsible parent would not allow and would oversee. That information needs to be brought up to the surface on behalf of the uh, the uh, other custodial parent, uh, so that uh, so that fairness is a result of the proceeding. Yeah, absolutely. And and then in terms of uh, you know family law cases, pre-trial conferences or settlement conferences, uh, kind of synonymous terms based on at least in Missouri and. You know, in terms of you know what maybe what courthouse we're at. Sometimes they call them pretrial conferences. Sometimes they call them settlement conferences. But uh, yeah, it can often be very advantageous when you're going into that pretrial conference or settlement conference, and and you've got that social media, you know, evidence uh, beforehand going into that settlement conference. I mean, that that, I can imagine uh, that very... yeah. I mean, that's just. I mean, to me, I mean, it's infinitely valuable because oftentimes. You know, I mean, it, it, unlike a, a jury trial situation, the judge that that's hearing the case is the same judge presiding over that pretrial or settlement conference, and so, you know, getting that information mm-hmm. in front of a judge in advance definitely helpful. Well, you know, um, and uh, also in, not just in child custody, but in child support, uh, there are many instances where a, uh, one of the parties, uh, let's say the defendant, is understating income, and uh, the the plaintiff's attorney was able to uncover from social, from Facebook or social media, showing uh, the uh, the defendant with uh, with a lavish lifestyle and expensive boats and so forth, where they were actually understating their uh, income and resources. And uh, those pictures alone, and of course, I'm sure you know that graphics and pictures are powerful uh, pieces of evidence uh, in any. Uh, relationship or in any uh, conversation or discussion, but in a legal case especially, and the many situations where just the pictures of somebody uh, uh, in a lavish lifestyle, understating their income and resources in terms of how they're going to pay child support, uh, it just turns everything around, and and the child and the the uh, in this case the plaintiff benefit appropriately from an attorney who is able to gather that information. And instead of leaving it on the internet where it doesn't do his client any good, he brings it to the settlement table, to the pre-settlement or pre-trial conference, as you're saying, and where it can be used uh, appropriately on behalf of his client. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and I think the other time to use that information, depositions uh, in family law cases, it can be can it be infinitely valuable as well. Because I mean, you can, I mean, you could show, for example, those pictures of. Uh, 
the expensive boats or the uh, the vacations or the weddings. I mean, you could show that to the other party in a deposition and ask them to explain, uh, you know, what what's in that picture. And that oftentimes, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, useful. I mean, I think it could cause the other party to all of a sudden become more reasonable. Uh, certainly, though, it allows you to get information and opens the door to information that uh, you wouldn't be able uh, wouldn't be able to get otherwise. You know, and I and I think uh, Facebook, some of these sites, interesting because I mean, I mean, it seems to me a lot of people will 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 you know paint their life in the most uh, positive way possible on on a lot of social networking sites. Like it's kind of. Uh, I don't know. You know, it's kind of showboating or bragging. It seems like it's a it's a great time for people to want to do that. Which, of course, in a family law case, when you're dealing with child support and spousal support, uh, that can be uh, that can be quite damaging when you do that. Um, I can imagine, and uh, from you know, from a journalist's perspective, uh, it's it's interesting to me that uh, in in my own uh, part of my own research. Uh, I've uh, read where uh, Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, going over 100 years ago, defines uh, the life of the law as experience. And, of course, I can relate that to contemporary days uh, as uh, as somebody who is living in the information age and uh, the age of the Internet and the age of social media uh, is very much uh, a major and influential component of current experience, and that is information technology and uh, social media and so forth and so on. And so for an attorney not to um, not to understand that is really somebody who's kind of fighting, um, fighting reality and, and the current environment that they're living in. Uh, used, I'm used to uh, uh, kind of phrasing things and in journalistic terms, and uh, one phrase I like is that uh, is that social media is the ocean that lawyers swim in. And from my experience, that is very much the case. And uh, in order to uh, to navigate and, uh, and negotiate through that ocean of social media, you really need to, to be able to swim. And that means knowing what social media is out there, what the resources are available, so that you can represent your client in the best and strongest possible way. Yeah, no, and I absolutely agree, and and obviously, uh, um, you know, I just think social media is key and vital. You know, a lot, I think a lot of firms out there are still, you know, in all frankness, uh, you know, you see them in the phone book a lot, or you see them advertising on like maybe radio or TV or other areas, and oftentimes, I mean, it's not a hundred percent the case. Obviously, there's exceptions to the rule, but I would just state, I don't know, as a research journalist, if do you agree with me or not? But it, it would seem to me, oftentimes you can you can kind of judge whether a firm is an early adopter of social media by by you know that law firm's online presence in and of themselves. I mean, firms that are normally uh, savvy from an internet perspective, those are oftentimes not always, but oftentimes the firms that they're going to be very good in terms of looking at social media evidence in cases. It just seems like it's kind of a spillover effect. Well, it's interesting. It's uh, it's the attorneys that are uh, not early adopters that are not embracing social media are being dragged into it, uh, even as they're kicking and screaming against it. But it's like everything else. There are in that process uh, the people at the at the lead are the people that are most successful, and those are the people that are not fighting, uh, you know, the change, and they're embracing change. 
And um, the American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers, uh, for instance, says 80% of its members have used or have faced evidence gathered from social media in their practice. And so to me, that that says it all, especially for family law uh, attorneys. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's just, I mean, with, with smartphones, as you, as you referenced, and, and, and iPads, and, and then you've got laptops. I mean, there's just so many ways individuals get online these days that, uh, I mean, really, uh, you know, I know there's some individuals out there that probably just never get on the Internet, and, and uh, but I think even more and more you see you see that becoming a slimmer and slimmer minority, and I think most people in some manner or form you know, find themselves on- online, and and that leads to obviously evidence in, in cases where uh, leads to family law case or custody dispute or whatnot. Um, you know, we touched on this a little bit, but in terms of character evidence, um, what type of character evidence can you get from from social media? Well, that, that is, you know, social media uh, is um, uh, is relatively new. But it's it's very ubiquitous. Uh, Facebook started in 2004. It's hard to believe, but today has over a billion users, and Twitter has 200 million uh, users, and LinkedIn, one of my favorites, has 80 million. And it's interesting in my own research uh, that I've discovered that uh, as as time goes on, uh, already summons have been served via Facebook. Judges have allowed summons to be served via Facebook, uh, and also injunctions and various processes have been served via Twitter. And uh, of course, to me, that is a uh, that is a tremendous uh, um, salient point for an, for somebody in the legal profession to understand that how much their profession is changing from the days of of hiring a um, an off-duty policeman or a state trooper or somebody to go around serving summons and whatever and processes and, and so forth, uh, you're now doing it on the Internet. And, uh, Is that, and that That's a pretty amazing point. <laughs> you can actually serve somebody through their Facebook account uh, like a summons. Yeah, absolutely. It's been done, and it's, it's, going to, it's only going to increase. And uh, Twitter as well. Twitter is kind of, uh, you know, it's about a fifth of the size of Facebook, but it's and it's kind of overlooked by a lot of people. I use it a lot, and uh, uh, but injunctions and processes are being served on Twitter or with Twitter. And, uh, That's amazing. And uh, yeah, yeah, and 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 the value of that is, of course, it's 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 much cheaper for the client. It's uh, in terms of time with the attorney and paperwork and all this stuff. It's just more efficient. And it's better for the for the client and better for the firm to be that efficient on on, on their behalf. That'd be huge at our firm, and we have a lot of cases where, uh, uh, you know, it's an international case where maybe one parent is living in the United States and somebody else is overseas. You know, at our firm, we have a lot of clients who are in the military, for example, and and, mm-hmm. and because of that, there can be international components to these cases. But that would be huge because that's one of the biggest, I think, dilemmas we have now going in our firm is with these international cases. You're trying to you're trying to serve somebody in, in a foreign country or territory, and that is. Uh, that's extremely difficult and, and wow if you could if you could serve somebody through Facebook or Twitter boy that sure make it a heck of a lot easier in a lot of these cases and and 
Yeah, I mean, if somebody's checking that account and they're logging into the Facebook and Twitter account and they're in there regularly, why not? I mean, that would seem to me that's a lot better than what we have to do now when we can't serve somebody. You know, we post in these old legal periodicals that nobody reads. You know, you publish notice. That's right, yeah. Nobody, no, nobody mm-hmm. reads that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, serving them through Facebook or Twitter would be, I mean, it would seem seem to be a fair way to do it, and wow, it would uh, would really help the clients out. I mean, in terms of the cost and moving cases forward, that's a, that's a that'd be a pretty incredible development if we could do that here in Missouri. Hopefully, hopefully we get to that point. I'm sure you will, and uh, no doubt about it. And also Skype in terms of depositions uh, overseas or in other states uh, and so forth, or even in situations of uh, if they're in a nursing home or some situation like that where Skype can be used and recorded for depositions or other purposes, uh, taking statements, um, that's available. We do that uh, meeting with potential clients now. We do Skype with clients overseas. Yeah, we've been doing that Mm -hmm. for a while. I mean, that's a a great, uh, great, great tool. But, yeah, you're right. If you could do a a deposition via Skype, um, I mean, that would be tremendously better than than doing a a phone deposition, for example, where you can't look that witness in the eyes and and you can't judge facial expressions and you can't see if they're looking at uh, maybe they're looking at some paperwork while they're answering their questions. So yeah, I mean a deposition. <laughs> well, I can tell you as attorneys, we're always leery of phone depositions. I know I am. I mean, there's to me, there's nothing like you know looking a witness in the eyes and just kind of seeing seeing their facial expressions and their mannerisms and and uh, but you know sometimes it's not really worth it to the client for me to fly out of state somewhere and charge them for that. So well, yeah, if you it. could do depots versus Skype, that would be. That'd be a phenomenal development. And one thing I should mention, since we're talking about social media and also on the video depositions, YouTube gets two billion views a day, and that's one of the video resources that is available that we've been discussing. Also, of course, the information about somebody that you can get on YouTube sometimes is mind-boggling, and nothing more, nothing more um, persuasive than a YouTube video of somebody, uh, let's say, uh, in a, uh, uh, a situation that contradicts his own self-definition, uh, self-definition or her own self-definition or how she's representing herself or he is, and you see this YouTube video, nothing is more uh, persuasive and important uh, you know, in a legal proceeding. And so YouTube is another uh, resource that a... Um, an early adopter of, uh, of social media, and YouTube is a social media resource, uh, can leverage on behalf of, of his or her client uh, and benefit them very, very substantially. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's so easy to make videos these days. I mean, if you're walking around with your iPhone, you can, you know, most iPhones, you can just record videos and, and right there from that phone upload it to YouTube. So, yeah, we've, I mean, we've had that happen in, in situations where maybe one, one person or another's out partying and they think, you know, after a few beverages, it'd be a fantastic idea to, to put that on YouTube. Of course, it's not a fantastic idea at all. But, uh, but yeah, absolutely. You, YouTube, uh, YouTube, you can get definitely get a lot of information because it's so easy. I mean, any laptop computer these days too. I mean, most of them have a camera on them, and you'll see people just shooting yep. videos right there from their laptop. And and there's something about one something that I can add uh, as a uh, as uh, from my perspective is that there is something about 
uh, Facebook, about emailing and texting and uh, chat rooms and blogs that reduces the self-discipline uh, of a person sometimes in terms of what they say or what they suggest or what they, uh, uh, how they are recorded on video that may very often contradict something that they have given by deposition about themselves or about some fact. And, and so it's, it's very important uh, as, a, as an attorney, I believe, to, to make available and to, to expose uh, your client to the benefits of, of social media by looking at the record out there of an uh, opposing person or a witness or an expert, whoever it might be, by their own word, by their own hand. And uh, it's amazing what you'll find. You do a search for somebody, and you find out they're on Facebook or Twitter. You, you can get their history of tweets. Uh, you can get their, uh, their chats and emails uh, on social media. It's amazing what people will say that very often um, contradicts what they have given in deposition or in testimony or uh, in statement. And if you have I mean, it, absolutely. I was just going to say, if it's left out there on the internet, it's not of any use to your client. And so that's where no, that's where an attorney who's yeah, absolutely. You know, LinkedIn. One of the things I like about uh, LinkedIn, for example, and uh, when you get into child support cases, I mean, LinkedIn's like getting a copy of somebody's resume in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, you can mm-hmm. go right on somebody's LinkedIn page and you know you can see where they've worked and what their job history is, and you know some people even post. Uh, amazing things like their salary history on there. Uh, a lot of people, I think, on LinkedIn now, you can just simply up, upload. I mean, the exact resume itself, and you can put that right mm-hmm. on a LinkedIn page. Where in the past, I mean, you'd have to send a request for production to somebody, and and they'd have 30 days to respond to Missouri. You'd have to wait on that, uh, right on the resume that way. But now people are just posting that stuff right online. And yeah, I mean, what I mean exactly what you said. I mean, I've. I've had individuals who claim they weren't making a whole lot of money, uh, that they're hurting financially. Then you go to their LinkedIn page, and, and they're bragging about how much money they're making. Um, so definitely, uh, I mean, I mean I, I, I've got multiple cases where that's been the case in particular, where they're crying poor, and they act like they're just doing terrible. And then you go on the LinkedIn page, and it's, you know, they're generating substantial money, and, and business is good, and, and mm-hmm. lo and behold, it's a totally different, totally different story. And the nice thing about it, it's all by their own hand, in effect. It's what they post themselves about themselves. Yeah. Or a group yeah, I mean, they, they put, they put it group. up there. Yeah, and if they join a group, it's by their choice and by their decision and uh, and so forth and so on. One thing that I've uh, experienced in doing research uh, for high-profile trials and uh, also occasionally I write and research for uh, prominent trial consultants is uh, is a is the use of cell phones as a resource for uh, gathering evidence, basically. And there is a software product called Celebrate, which will take uh, and you can request uh, uh, as part of e-discovery that somebody, for any reason that's approved by the court, uh, turn over their cell phone. And from that cell phone record, you can get not only text and emails and files. But you can also get the location and travels of that person uh, over a period of time or a specific day. And they will tell you uh, within 
uh, within a reasonable location, based on cell tower locations, where that person was at any given time of any particular day. So if somebody says, well, and this quite often is the case in, in, in matters of dispute in the law, well, I was uh, at work, you know, on a certain day. I couldn't possibly have, have been meeting this woman at a bar. And you just get his cell phone information and use this software, which is very inexpensive, and you just get a printout of his location on, on the date and in that time frame, and there he is. He's at a bar or near a bar. And uh, so it's just uh, it's just interesting as somebody that that is, is basically just observing as a journalist, uh, you know, these resources from the Internet, how, how important they are to attorneys. Now, you said in this Casey Anthony trial, I mean, you're, you're writing a book, right, uh, correct, on, on, uh, on the Casey Anthony trial? Yes, I've been commissioned to write the definitive book on uh, the Casey Anthony trial, and uh, um, it's, 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 an, it's been an education for me how a person like myself as a journalist can start with the one-sided narrative of that case and just do research and just let the facts write the story and how you can change your, your own or a person can change their own perspective uh, at the end of that road. And so it's a, it's a journey for me as well as for the readers of my book when it's published later this year. Now, obviously, that trial, you know, criminal law situation, different than uh, different than family law, but still, you know, when you're talking about social media and the law, obviously, <clears throat> the way social media impacted that case can have a certainly a spillover effect into family law. But I'm just obviously, the book hasn't come out yet, so you're still writing it. But you said it was the social media trial, I think, of the of the century. Is that right? I'm just kind of curious, in a, uh, in a general sense, how how was social media so relevant in that case? If you give us a sneak preview. Well, yeah. Sure. Uh, Time magazine uh, labeled it that, and um, of course, uh, I assume that most people at least heard of the name. She was a young woman whose child died, and for uh, for months and months, she denied that the child died, and made up stories about uh, why the child wasn't with her anymore. And and she went out. Uh, she was photographed in nightclubs uh, during this time, and it turned out that her child had died, and. Um, and uh, her own mother arrested her for this crime, and she was facing the death penalty, and the trial became the social media trial of the century. She was voted the most un the most hated woman in America for two years running, 2011 and 2012. Interesting that as part of my research, um, social media became uh, so important. Uh, HLN, is, which is a uh, cable network that covers trials, uh, usually high-profile criminal trials, uh, but that uh, that became a driver of public sentiment, uh, along with the blogosphere and social media and blogs and uh, and uh, and uh, YouTube, uh, for defining that case and forming people's opinions about it. And what's curious about that particular case, and it really does apply to family law, where where you have bench trials, um, the jury uh, came to a completely opposite opinion from the court of public opinion and social media and they really did, it wasn't a close call for the jury and so that is a, a huge uh, uh, a huge opportunity uh, for somebody like myself as a research journalist to look at social media and to examine it and to and to 
come up with some reasonable conclusions about about the nature of social media. In uh, working with a trial consultant, there's something called uh, that she uses called social media analytics, and she can use uh, she has a, uh, software programs and uh, and huge resources uh, to take what is said on the internet about any particular subject. It does not have to be a high-profile subject. Uh, it can be family law. She works in family law quite a lot. And to, to advise uh, attorneys and their clients uh, on how to present their case, evidence, uh, and so forth and so on, um, graphic uh, media to be used in the presentation, even in, pre in pretrial uh, settlement discussions. Just as important there as it is in a bench trial. And uh, so in, in the Casey Anthony case, it uh, turns out that uh, computer searches for uh, chloroform and foolproof suffocation are played huge roles in, uh, in that case and in how people perceive that case and also uh, her, her whereabouts uh, via her cell phone uh, analysis were, were critical in that case. So kind of the whole panoply of, of the social media uh, uh, world is, uh, is wrapped up in that case. And uh, uh, I'm very much looking forward to the publication of the book, which, by the way, concludes that the jury was right. It concludes that the jury was right. That's the conclusion that uh, yes. that you came to. Yes. Startling. Yeah. And uh, startling. Startling. Yes. And uh, okay. All right. Well, we uh, obviously you know, we'll wait. We'll wait for the book, but uh, and read how you came to your conclusions. Uh, uh, conclusions there, but obviously that was a really interesting trial that obviously captivated. I think. Uh, captivated everybody, uh, even being non-family law. Obviously, uh, uh, court on TV is a uh, kind of thing that can get you wrapped wrapped into it. Uh, definitely the case. Um, now, in terms of trial consultants, you, you said you've worked with trial consultants. Is that right? Uh, yes, I researched and write for uh, Dr. Amy Singer uh, from time to time. She was the trial consultant for O.J. Simpson, Michael Jackson, uh, William Kennedy Smith and Casey Anthony and Jack Kevorkian. She's the preeminent trial consultant in the country, uh, who's always she's not only she defines what an early adopter is, and uh, and she is uh, you know she's at she's leading uh, social media analytics for uh, in its use of uh, uh, in the law, and uh, she's a very remarkable and very successful woman. She's a PhD in psychology. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say she's got a PhD in psychology, and uh, that plays uh, some component, uh, uh, a useful uh, component in uh, in the work she does. But she uses uh, social media analytics uh, extensively uh, to help attorneys evaluate their case. And as I say, it does not have to be a high-profile case. It, it it just as effectively applies and is used for family law, for uh, uh, motorcycle accidents, DUI, and, and so forth. So, in other words, what, what, what she what she would do is help in trial consultants in general is help analyze how a case is presented uh, to ensure that it, I mean, to ensure it's presented the best possible manner to the court. Is that I mean, is that kind of a fair assessment of it? 
Well, yeah, in a, in a family law case, because it's bench trial and because, uh, as you said um, in the past, that maybe 80% of the uh, family law cases uh, typically are decided uh, without a uh, without a bench trial or, or prior to a bench uh, hearing, that uh, what she would do and what, uh, what legal consultants would do who use social media analytics would be uh, a lot of what they would do was to gather information on behalf of the attorney to use to support their client in kind of the ways we've been discussing. Uh, she knows, you know, where the bones are buried, and she knows how to get at them, and she knows how the attorney can request, uh, uh, you know, the the appropriate uh, uh, documents from the court to make that happen. And she knows, for example, that you can uh, you can uh, issue a summons through Facebook. She knows that you can. Uh, uh, issue a process or uh, other things or other things through Twitter, and these are just ways that uh, just make make things a lot easier and more effective and more efficient for an attorney in a pretrial or a settlement uh, uh, issue with uh, with their client. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now you know you, and I think in, in kind of chat with you before. You know, before we went on uh, on the air, you talked about that social media can even be used, for example, to to help uh, maybe get inside the mind of the judge in terms of you know the way a judge might view a case or, or a particular situation as well. Well, that is, you know, that to me is uh, I don't know why, but it's it's the, it's the most interesting. You know, when you when when I when I as a, just as a layman think of a bench trial, I'm thinking, oh, that's he's, he's that's his domain. That trial court is his domain. He makes the rules. Uh, his word is 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 law in effect, uh, unless it's appealed. And uh, it's pretty difficult to to for an attorney to leverage uh, resources that an attorney brings in that environment. But what I'm finding out is that that's not the case. And, uh, for example, in, in, the, in the trial that I talked about, uh, the uh, social media trial of the century, the original judge uh, was uh, contacting a blogger who was urging uh, that the defendant uh, pretrial be hanged and that she was no doubt guilty. So the trial judge was calling that blogger and encouraging the blogger to, to continue on with that point of view. And he was the trial judge. And the defense attorneys found out about it and had them thrown off the case. So, I mean, that kind of thing goes on where judges are like everybody else. They have biases. In family law situations, they're not as egregious as the one I just uh, mentioned. But they can be, have biases about um, a profession that a client may, may be in or a circumstance that uh, a person may be in. They may have biases that affect their decision. So what... What uh, what you can do with social media is expose all of that and be aware of it and then address it. And there's a couple of uh, formats. There's uh, something called Judgepedia, and then there's something called Road Probe that an attorney can utilize very inexpensively. And these uh, resources will give you a very thorough evaluation of that judge, a record, his statements, his friends, anything that would be of interest to an attorney uh, presenting a case in front of that judge, and they very extensively use social media, uh, surprisingly, and it's uh, it's kind of surprising what what some judges will post on social media that 
can be used uh, by an attorney in his court. Wow, example, that's interesting. Can, yeah, well, I mean, uh, judges are permitted by the ABA to participate in social media. And um, so they may join chat rooms or groups. Uh, they may become members of an advocacy-oriented uh, uh, group on Facebook or somewhere else. Uh, they may have commented about a company uh, or, or, uh, or a profession. Then your client may be a member of that company or that profession, and uh, who knows? You know that might be an appeal issue. That might be something where you you get a a, a judge removed. But in any event, the whole the whole from my perspective, the whole value of this is to bring as much information up to the surface as you possibly can, so that you give your client a level playing field. Without that kind of information your client can be really, really in, in a difficult situation through no fault of your own or no fault of her own, but through the bias of the sitting judge. And the judge may not even identify his predisposed, predisposed feelings as biases. He may be very comfortable with them, but somebody else may see them as a bias. And, and so that's the value of social media from my perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, I you know, I great deal of respect for the judiciary and obviously family court judges boy they've got a heck of a hard job to do it's uh one of the hardest jobs out there because not only do you have to uh, enforce the rules in the courtroom and the rules of evidence you actually have to decide the case unlike a unlike a criminal case where the where the jury ultimately mm-hmm. makes the call on it uh so you know family court judges obviously i think uh you know have one of the hardest judges hardest jobs out there that a judge could could possibly have but uh obviously like you say judges are human beings just like everybody else just like you and i and you know we all have different viewpoints and and associations and whatnot and there's there's no question that uh you know on some level that can uh just kind of change the lens in which we view the world or maybe a particular case well and also you know the 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 judicial system is a, an advocacy system, and it really depends on on a an attorney, in my opinion, being a strong, professional, and uh, aggressive advocate on behalf of their client. And so that, um, for example, one of the things that to me is is a useful resource is uh, is there's a, a group called Robing Room, Robing Room. And lawyers anonymously provide information about judges that they've practiced in front of. Well, from my perspective, that's to me that's attractive because it's an anonymous um, uh, source. But I take that into cons- I would take that into consideration the fact that these statements are made anonymously. But uh, the information that they provide does open up. Uh, avenues to look at in behalf of a judge that you would never consider if you didn't have somebody who had practiced in front of them just saying, well, here's what I found about this judge. And uh, and as I say, to me, it's all, it's all good because it's information that is brought up to the surface and um, where it can be used and evaluated. Some of it's going to be thrown out. Some of it's going to be counterproductive. But that's, that's what the practice of law is all about. And, and the worst thing in the world for a, a person who's who's relying on the law for justice is to be represented by an attorney who leaves all of that kind of information untouched, 
un, unreviewed, unknown. Uh, because among that that uh, accumulation of information is, in my opinion, the piece of information that can make all the difference to a client. And that's why, at the end of the day, if I have an attorney that is uh, that is comfortable with social media and then uses it aggressively, that's the attorney that I want. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it can save clients a lot of money, too, because, uh, uh, I mean, if some of this information can be obtained online, um I mean that can be a lot less expensive than uh you know sending interrogatories or requests for production out mm-hmm. to try to get the information. It's also you know can be a lot more accurate too because uh you know you send requests for productions out and you know opposing parties conveniently you know they say they don't have the documents in their control anymore. You ask them an interrogatory and then boy they don't recall you know an answer to a question in terms of what happened on maybe a particular evening or about a particular fact, but right. I mean, I just think you save your client so much money, too, if you're able to, uh, you know, to ethically and according with the rules of, of professional conduct get information online. It's just, uh, just definitely uh, invaluable. I think definitely definitely gives clients uh, a, a leg up in a lot of different ways. It's totally true. Yeah, totally, and, totally true. and the... And the, the the person who hires an attorney is very much um, at the um, dependent on the professionalism and the quality of the representation that the attorney they hired offers them. They they really are depending on their attorney to represent them uh, well. And uh, and and, uh, and one of the ways an attorney does that, in my opinion, is is to turn over everything available uh, from social media and the Internet on behalf of their client. And I really, really, uh, I really am sorry for the client that hires an attorney that does not use that as a resource. You even talked about uh, including social media in uh, engagement letters to clients. Is that right? Oh, yeah, definitely. That's what should be one of the first things that uh, that an attorney includes, um, uh, uh, that uh, they want information that's part of e-discovery from social media resources. Uh, they don't want anything destroyed. So they will state that in letter of engagement. Uh, they don't want any uh, accounts uh, deleted. Uh, all of that, you know, you can form it in, in, in legal terms and, and appropriately and comprehensively, but in a nutshell, that's that is like the first. That's like step one, and uh, and uh, it's just kind of the kind of the uh, the uh, e-discovery 101 for an attorney these days. And I bet most most attorneys don't. Uh, they're probably not even thinking about that when they're doing an engagement letter and intake sheet with a client. I would bet that that uh, that's probably pretty rare. Even though, like you say, uh, something that uh, attorneys should definitely do right out of the gates. Well, very, uh, very, very, uh, very interesting. Very interesting discussion, Keith. Anything, uh, anything else uh, you'd like to add uh, that we haven't discussed? No, I think uh, it's um, it's been a pleasure on my part uh, to talking with you, and also I've gained a lot of insight from hearing your uh, perspective and reaction to some of the things I've said, and uh, I appreciate that very much. Yeah, well, Keith, it's been our privilege and honor to to have you on the show here today. Definitely uh, this information, uh, definitely going to be something that our 
Internet uh, listeners are going to be interested in listening at our firm. You know, we've got uh, a lot of clientele that is online and, and actively engaged in social media, so I'm sure they'll find uh, this whole discussion uh, fascinating. So I want to thank you for coming on the show. Definitely our privilege and honor. And uh, we look forward to your book coming out and uh, on, this, on the Casey Anthony trial. look forward to reading to that. And, uh, again, thank you for coming on the on the phone with me today, Keith. It's a pleasure, and anybody that uh, wants to read anything, they can go to writerkeith.com, and I'll be right there. Outstanding. Well, Keith, thanks again for coming on uh, the phone with me today. This will conclude our episode today of Family Law Talk with Stangy Law Firm. Tune in next week for our next episode. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you for listening to Family Law Talk with Kirk Stangy. Visit stangylawfirm.com for more about today's topic or to put Stangy Law Firm to work for your family today.